More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. On this episode of the Family Business Voice, we welcomed speaker, author, and consultant Sarah Stern to discuss her new book, Married to the Family Business, a handbook for spouses of family business owners. In her book, Sarah addresses the apparent vacuum of resources for spouses of family business owners. She argues that though they might not often sit on the board or hold an operational role in the business, spouses are at the center of it all. In our discussion, Sarah explains to us why they are often influential in decisions and are subject to some unique pressures because of the ambiguity of their roles. Enjoy this episode with Sarah. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Family Business Voice. I am particularly thrilled to introduce my guest today, Sarah Stern, who is the author of Married to the Family Business, a handbook for spouses of family business owners. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us today on this podcast. We're so thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me. It's a thrill to be here. What prompted you to particularly focus on like the role of spouses and their perspective on the family enterprise. This book has been growing probably over the last 12 years or so, because when I have conversations either about family business ownership or about the day-to-day running of the business, I kept hearing things like, well, well, we know that employing all of our kids in the business or every single niece and nephew is maybe not the right choice for the business. I've been told by mom or grandpa or my wife or my husband that I have to. And I kept here, I've heard that over and over, or I've heard things like, well, well, we know that paying all of my kids or all of the fourth generation exactly the same amount of money is maybe not great for the business. Again, I've been told by grandpa or mom or someone in the family, a spouse, that we have to. Mm-hmm. And that has been so frustrating to me. And I've thought over and over, like, where are they getting that information? Why are they doing that? What's going on? And so I started digging into it and I found two things. One is the spouses who are making those recommendations or requirements are not going anywhere for that, meaning they're not going to research. They're not going to books about family business. And then I realized the reason they're not doing that is there's no book for them. There is no resource for them. And as I started researching, well, when I did my very first bit of research, the only thing I found in the literature was how to divorce them. It made me sad. So I found more information. But in my first look through, it was just, how do we get rid of them? And I thought that's just a problem in every direction. So since I couldn't find anything else, I decided I needed to write something down to hopefully help the business owners, but in particular to help the spouse and help them have information that could be valuable. Tell us a little bit more, Sarah, about like, what do you see as being the main factors complicating a spouse's position with regards to the family business? What I've seen, it's hard to even recognize how complicated your own role is, much less the role of your spouse, right? So of course their role is 
is coming after you even being able to put your own head around it. So woof, that is one for sure. The other thing that I think is complicating things is I think out of good intentions, a lot of family business owners want to insulate their spouse from things. And then sadly, the only information a spouse will often get is when the owner is just so frustrated or so upset that they come home and say something. Right. So that's one is I think one is owners, maybe not even recognizing how complicated things are for themselves, but two, out of having a good heart, want to insulate their spouse. That plays a huge role. This is a distortion, isn't it, of the reality? Also, the fact that it'll and I wonder at this a lot, like, you know, is it an advantage for the spouse to look, there's an inherent luxury in knowing that your spouse within the family business context is always on your side, right? Like, because we do fight lonely battles, right? Like, and it, it feels good to come home to someone who is almost legally obligated to, <laughs> to just, to take your side. I'm just saying, I'm just putting it out there. Okay. Like, so this is how it, I mean, ideally this is how it is, of course, provided you're right and not inherent, entirely wrong, hopefully about things. But then the distortion happens by incomplete information, as you've just pointed it out. So I might not always share the full picture. I might only share negative moments. But there's also the distortion that they only get, he only gets my point of view, for instance. Or like, you know, she only gets his point of view. So how do you see that? Like, do you generally advise spouses who are concerned about the family enterprise to seek out more opinions? Or do you think that that is a direct line for dysfunction in the couple then? Yeah, there's two things, two ways I want, I like to think about that. One is a lot of spouses of family business owners get stuck in triangles, mm -hmm. uh, meaning triangulated relationship. A family business owner goes home, talks to their husband. And then, you know, two weeks later, maybe there's a birthday party. And that husband mm -hmm. is watching interactions and then someone pulls him aside. Maybe your sibling, maybe one of your parents, maybe an aunt, maybe an uncle. And they're trying to get a message to you through your husband. Via your husband, yeah. Right. So, so many times spouses are put in a triangle and maybe you're trying to do a triangle. Will you go tell my sister, blah, 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 right? Like, so that is crazy hard for family business spouses. There's a lack of information and then there's a lack of perspective, right? Like, so you're getting perspective from other people on the same problem. And then I love the messenger dilemma that you've pointed out here is obviously when someone's trying to get something to me to choose my, my husband as a route that, that would happen, I think in a lot of, uh, in a lot of family enterprises as well. It's like a, I call it the ultimate passive aggressive gesture, but like, I think it's like, the, it's a very frequent scenario, right? Like I think because and it comes under the guise of like, can't you get through to them? Basically, can't you do this? To be fair, it's a very likely scenario to actually turn out better, right? Like, so maybe the spouse of that person is the only person to be able to reach them or to reason with them. So is this always the wrong thing to do? Is this always a bad thing? Do you think? Ooh, wow. I tend to say yes. So mm -hmm. my first reaction is it's always bad. Or my first reaction is to say, assume it's probably bad. Mm -hmm. There are probably exceptions. We are speaking in the English language right now. There are a million exceptions in our language, right? But assume it's not a good idea <laughs> in the first place. And part of the reason I say that is 
a spouse is never going to know the whole story. And by the way, no yeah. one's ever going to know the whole story. I don't care if they're the spouse or not. Just no human mm. knows the whole story of anything. So yeah. being put in this tiebreaker or pick a side or whatever you want to call it is probably dangerous no matter what. And what I like to say instead is, instead of a spouse being insulated from things, for them to have a concept of, wow, there's a family situation happening, there's a business situation, there's an ownership situation. And for a spouse to be able to, you know, for your spouse to be able to hear what's going on in your head and say, oh, well, is this really a family thing? Is this an ownership thing? Is this a business thing? They're just helping you with your thoughts versus digesting whatever you say and taking it as truth. And they're still on your side if they're helping you think it through. What are things that a spouse can proactively do in order to uh, promote a healthy relationship with the family enterprise? I think the number one thing is to, of course, hear your partner, right? Hear what they're saying, do active listening, right? When it comes time to ask questions, to dig in, Instead of getting to, well, here's the thing to do, which is what a lot of spouses just naturally do, right? Where I'm on your team, let's make a plan, let's get things done. A great spouse, because they don't know the whole story and because they shouldn't know the whole story, and because even if they wanted to, they never would anyway, because that's just the nature of human relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, A great thing is to help. And that's what my book is all about is, is to help the spouse understand, wow, are we trying to run this business in a way that is really how the family should be run. Like Mm -hmm. when you think about the idea of every kid or every niece or every nephew gets a job, that's really the way a family should run. Every kid, every niece, every nephew, every grandkid should have a a seat in the family. That's a healthy way to run a family, not a healthy way to run the business. So Mm -hmm. a great spouse, hopefully with this really short book, will be able to say, oh, I think we're trying to put the rules of engagement for the family on the business. Maybe that's the cause of this issue. And then, you know, work it through that way. So just have a couple of ideas about how a great, healthy business should run. What can a enterprise owning or wealth owning family do to make sure the in-law and the spouse has a chance to even start to understand how this works and, and how they can be a positive force to make things better? What I've seen often is the owners, whether it's the business or the, you know, the enterprise or families of high net worth is it's either an all or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm, they don't get to know anything except what it's like at the family reunion, period. Or they'll go the other extreme and like share all the reports, mm-hmm. all the financial reporting and do everything but give the passwords away, right? <laughs> and I guess I'd rather go that way mm-hmm. um, than the nothing way. But I think there's a powerful in between. And that's what I'm trying to get at in the book is to have the spouses understand the system, meaning that there's a family, that there's a business, that there's ownership, that there should be healthy rules of engagement and leaders. And there's certain decisions that get made in each of the circles that don't get made in the other circles, right? So the family shouldn't be deciding who works in the business, for goodness sakes, but Mm -hmm. it likes to do that all the time. Of course, of course. The ownership circle likes to decide who's running the mailroom. No, Mm -hmm. no, no, right? This That happens all the time. If you can equip the spouse or spouses 
with that idea of like, this is what a healthy situation looks like, they can ideally then act in a healthy way and help their spouse act in a healthy way and help their kids act in a healthy way. And from there, if you want to start sharing financial documents, wills, the words on everything, the bylaws, the the buy, sell, et cetera, great. But before that, they're just taking in either no information or a whole bunch of information that's hard to make sense of. Mm-hmm. You know, why does my spouse make less money? Well, because they get a distribution check. Well, if you don't understand what that means or why that's happening, mm-hmm. <laughs> it just looks unfair and terrible. And you get mad, right? Let's just enumerate some of the main reasons why these relationships fail. And let's be fair, the family enterprise is definitely not the only culprit usually, but can be a massive contributor. What do you think these reasons are? I'm thinking about two people I was speaking with in the last month. They are the founding generation of a family business. They're trying to bring their three kids in. One kid is married, two are not, right? But they're they're actually thinking ahead. Lots mm-hmm. of people wait way longer than they are to think yeah. this through. What they realized is they've never created a vision for their family. Just thinking mm-hmm. about the family. What is the vision for our family? How much money do we need to run this family? What are we trying to create here? Do we believe in giving wealth to our kids or not giving, or do we expect them to buy in? Like, do we want to die penniless and give them nothing? Do Mm -hmm. we want to give them money? Right. They just, none of that vision has happened as owners. They've never even thought like, what does it mean to own this thing? What's our vision as owners? What do we want from it? What are we expecting to get out of it? Um, You know, this is the entrepreneurial first generation. They've just been busting their butts for 21 years. Of course. So why do we own this thing? What are we doing? How much do we want out of it? Do we, uh, our kids want it? Whoa, what does that mean, right? They've never had that conversation. And then I met them because on the business side, they haven't even had that, like, where do we want to be in 10 years Mm -hmm. kind of conversation, right? And to me, and their marriage is suffering, right now. It's sad. It was, there were tears. I mean, it's suffering. They're really, really suffering and it's really hard for them. And that I think for them for sure is the crux of this, but I know it's true for so many. There's not a vision of why are we doing all this? Where are we trying to take this Mm -hmm. and all of it? And it gets all complicated. They were thinking, I said, well, what's your vision? And they tried to give me one. It was like, no, you need three, one for the family, one for the business, one for ownership. You need three Mm -hmm. visions. And of course they're going to overlap, but there's not just one. And to me, that's the missing link for so many family businesses is not having three visions, not having any vision, but for sure not having three. What happens to the identity of the spouse? And what happens to that identity in relation to raising the next generation? I think it's extraordinarily important for the spouse to decide what their involvement is that they want. So often they just get told, this is your role. Welcome to the family. Please sign a prenup. We'd love to have you at the holidays. Keep Mm. quiet. Or thank you for the child. We really, we're glad they're here. They're going to get their name on some documents. You will not, right? That's, Mm. that's tough. So To me, for a spouse to understand the system, to understand that there's a family, there's a business, there's ownership, and then to understand where do I fit? Where should I fit? Where should I not fit? But 
then beyond that, where do I want to fit? Where are my skills helpful? Where are they not helpful? Maybe your skills would be helpful in the business, but you decide, I don't want to see my spouse at work every day. I'm not going to do that. Or maybe your skills would be valuable in the business and it's exactly what you want to do. Okay, do it by design. That I think is one of the most powerful things any spouse can do and any owner can ask their spouse to do is to really get clear about how involved do you want to be and how involved Mm. do you not want to be? What are the boundaries about the stories you want to hear and not hear? How much do you want to know? How much do you not want to know? How do you work on strengthening as a spouse, your relationship with your husband, your wife, who is part of a family business? What are ingredients for a successful couple in that context, do you think? I think, well, and this is how you started our conversation today. The why is huge. A spouse needs to understand their why and why do I want to be involved and what am I willing to do? But understanding, if you're the spouse of a family business owner, understanding your family business owner spouse's why. Why do they want to be involved? And really trying to dig in, what is the vision for the business? What are you trying to accomplish, right? I can imagine this scenario, you know, families having dinner, mom gets a call from the business, mom gets up and takes the call. The kid looks at dad and says, what's she doing? And dad says, oh, her sister's always calling. There's always a problem at the business. Blah, blah. This is oh, so annoying. Your mom can't say no, right? Mm. That's one scenario that I can guarantee happened 55 times at dinner last night, Mm. right? For family, Mm. if the family business owner was even at dinner, right? In the first Mm, place. So that's one scenario, right? But as the spouse, if you know, they're trying to buy another business because they want to scale it because they as owners want to be less involved in the day-to-day, dad might say, it's a really busy time, right? For your mom right now. And while this is hard for us, I support what she's doing right now. And I believe in a year that won't happen anymore, right? A different scenario, right? Same situation, different message, different scenario. So I really think it's important for the spouse to understand what's that why now, and then to be able to debate it, right? So Mm -hmm. is it a call at dinner every night for 27 years as the spouse? Are you okay with that? If you're okay with it, then you're okay with it. If if you're not, how can you as a partnership figure out what are the times of day that there are no phone calls that happen and put Mm -hmm. some boundaries around it, right? And I'm saying that like, it's easy. I know it's not. But figure out what are you trying to accomplish? What is that spouse trying to accomplish? What are you excited about? What do you not make a plan around it? And again, a whole podcast about boundaries, right? Figure out, make an agreement, and then do your best to stick to it. I do have a question about like, sort of like who the audience is that you're hoping for with your book. Who are you hoping for in terms of a reader base? So of course I wrote the book thinking this is just for the spouses. This is for them. I did imagine because of course I know more of the business owners. So who I thought would buy it would be the owners, right? The owner will buy it for their spouse. What I've found in the last couple of months is it's true. It's the owners who buy it, but I've had three people say to me, Sarah, I couldn't help it. I read the book before I gave it to my spouse (laughs) and I want another copy and we're going to read it together. That was not my vision. I don't think that's a requirement. If that never happens, it's not a failure. But three people in the last couple of weeks have said, 
I found I it a helpful yeah. base Yeah, so now I kind of wish I would have written it for the couple. But in a way, I think it kind of is. It's written for the spouse. Well, and so what's the role of those parents-in-law that have no idea how to deal with that kind of dynamic? I actually disagree in some ways with the mm -hmm. premise of your question. And the okay. reason I say this is this. For sure, I agree with the idea that often in the founding situation, it's a couple and they they signed the papers together and right they took the risk together, they made the decision together. What I see over and over with the founding generation is if we think about the three circle model of family business, the family, the business and ownership, it's just been one big blob, right? Mm -hmm. We're running and we're trying to, the kids are in the office and we're, they're sweeping and we're eating dinner at my desk and right, it's all just one big blob. And so even though there are those three things happening, they don't think of it that way at all. They would benefit from doing it, but they don't have to, right? That kind of thing. But here's the thing that often that founding generation does not pay attention to, which is in the family circle, there's a really important leader in that circle, and it's the chief emotional officer. And often one person is playing that role. They are the one making sure the family gets together and there is vacation time. And we're not talking about the business or taking the calls mm -hmm. at dinner or breakfast or whatever meal it is, or it's only on Sundays that we don't do that. They've been playing a role there. And it's really helpful for the founding generation to understand that role and its huge role in keeping the business going and keeping the family going. And when they can start to wrap their head around that, they can see the increased value of having a strong family circle there. And that often will change their viewpoint on the role of these incoming spouses. Mm. And I like to say this, and I get this from some great article or research I read, that succession has to happen in the business and has to happen in ownership. It must happen in the family too. Mm -hmm. And when a owning or a first generation can think about that, then it is actually a strategic decision that needs to be made and thought about. Um, who is going to be the future chief emotional officer around here? Well, I mean, I'd actually argue your point is very, very valid, but I'd actually even argue that succession has to start in the family because I don't really see how any of the other discussions can be had without that having taken place or that being in process or that conversation even being possible. So I was just trying to think through a scenario where the other two conversations could happen without you actually having that transition happening, maybe organically less explicitly in the family. I just don't see it, actually. Without someone stepping into that chief emotional officer role, you can do it, but it is crazy hard. Yeah, it's crazy hard without that person there. I do hope, though, that in a way there can maybe as the generations proceed, that there can be multiple people taking on that role, because I always find it a little bit of a trap for the person feeling to take on that mantle as well. So I feel like in the first generation it makes total sense that it's one of the two or one of maybe three, four people. But in the following generations, hopefully there's multiple people who, and some of them even spouses, as you as you pointed out, they don't necessarily have to be just necessarily active in the in the business or in the in the wealth structure. But yeah, I mean, fantastic. I mean, Sarah, honestly, I'll get the book for my husband now. It's okay. Like I've, I, I think it's, it's 
Fair enough. You've made your point. <laughs> okay, fine. Such an interesting conversation with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, we will put a link to your book uh, below the podcast so people can go check it out. I loved uh, the advice you gave us here on this very difficult subject. And we hope that your book will be the first of many resources emerging for spouses of family business owners. Thank you very much, Sarah, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes.